about the message I prepared for today. I have a series I'm preaching through on Sunday morning about the feast. We'll look at one of the third feast and then the final feast probably the next two Sundays whenever we get together there. Luke chapter 2 is where I want to be. I uh, only heard, an, well, for one thing, we didn't have the church radio running this last week, but I usually listen to the Christmas carols all week and the songs and such. We finally got it fired up, and I heard old Johnny Cash on our radio system talk about the Savior in Luke chapter 2. But that's the only reference I heard the whole holiday season to Luke chapter 2. And so I thought maybe yous were as wondering as much about it as I am, as I do. Uh, I just thought it would be fitting today after the big holiday. It's still, my in my book, it's still part pretty much Christmas. And uh, let's look at Luke chapter 2 together. It's not going to be a, I don't imagine it very profound. We looked at it in a, uh, an evening service and talked about all different assets and feasibilities of when Christmas was and what really took place. We get a story in our minds of Jesus, Jesus's mother Mary riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and not being able to find any room in the end. And that night she gets there, they uh, have a baby and it's Jesus, of course, and he's born either in a cave or a manger, or, or he's placed in a manger, our Bible says, but uh, we got all kinds of conceptions about it. Some are biblical and some aren't. One of the things is, is there's no mention of a donkey, and there's, uh, it talks about her coming into Israel or to Jerusalem for a number of days before she conceived, was being a tax a uh, tax was taken place, and that's why they were brought to Jerusalem to pay a tax, which probably put it in the harvest time of year rather than the dead of winter. Uh, that's when they collected the taxes. And in fact, in my book uh, that I gave out uh, the other day, uh, in defense of the virgin birth, uh, there is an Museum of Antiquity in Israel right now two times where the taxes were taken and Caesar's taxes were taken and it's recorded that a couple came with one child. Yeah, it was one child. And uh, they're named Mary and Joseph and paid taxes. So we have that in history even that that was... And that tax was taken anywhere from Thanksgiving to our Christmas time. So uh, there's a lot of facts there, and I would match the facts to Scripture rather than to tales. But let's look at Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made with Cyrenius when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one unto his own city. So now you know why Mary and Joseph had to go to Jerusalem. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, which is laid out in the first part of this chapter and in the book of Matthew. 
Mary's uh, gen genetic backgrounds laid out. And so it was that while they were there and the days were, that they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. A great multitude was brought together to be taxed, and she, he was laid in a manger. And that word manger in the original biblical language can mean anything from a manger that you feed cattle out of to a large auditorium that people eat in. Uh, it's very clear because it's repeated several times in other passages of Scripture that this was probably along the lines of our traditional nativity scene in a place where they fed cattle. And there was some in the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night, which would put this time frame more... Are you? Oh, I thought you were going to fix the nativity scene. <laughs> uh, yeah, amen. Yeah, you got to see it. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, which kind of throws a damper on it taking place at December 25th because the fields don't yield much even in Israel, all over Israel much, uh, don't yield much in the way of grass at that time of year. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The angel of the Lord, which we see mentioned several times in Scripture, clear back in the book of Genesis, and Genesis chapter 3 is where we first see the angel of the Lord, came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And that word afraid is something I've been corrected for using many times in my life, but fear is something we are easily motivated by. Fear, uh, many times when you see angels appear before man, one of the first words out of their mouths to, towards mankind is fear not or be not afraid. And uh, we are easily motivated by fear, and the angels know that. The devil also knows that, and it's something we need to keep in check. And lo, the angel the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were so afraid. Verse 10, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I like that word, all people. Not any singular form at all, but everyone. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And, ye shall, and, it, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Swaddling clothes are cotton clothes, cotton rags, cotton material that's used often in medical fields and stuff. It's considered clean. Uh, they uh, wrap the babies in it. Oftentimes, in this day and age, they'd rub the babies in salt. Because if you know anything about a birth, the baby's born wet and uh, uh, has a lot of fluid on it, and uh, salt is a cleansing agent. So oftentimes they'd, wrap the they'd wash the child in a salt solution or in just direct salt because water was always pretty scarce. And suddenly there was, oh, and it shall be a sign unto you, you should find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. And it shall come to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see the things which is come to pass, thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. See, now these shepherds were outside in the fields, and the angels came to the shepherds. There's no place in Scripture where the angel's at the manger. But we got an angel there at that one. That's kind of cute. And the shepherds came after the angels sang and gave praise and glory to God. And it came to pass, the angels were gone away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see the things which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. They weren't doctors of great learning. They weren't even wise men at this time. They were shepherds. Just like our country's in this area is filled with fishermen and uh, hunters and woodsmen, general people of the, the land, shepherds were the people that God chose to spread his word first that the child was born. Isn't that kind of befitting? But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were accomplished, the circumcision of the child, for the circumcision of the child, the na his name was called capital J, capital E, capital S, capital U, capital S, Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb, back in Matthew and your King James Bible has it all caps, which means it involves the Trinity, which is the supreme power and Godhead. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, that's, that's Mary's purification, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord, every male that opened the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. These, this was laid out in the book of Leviticus around chapter 20 to 22. The uh, designated offerings were because of where you were in employment and where you were in your, so, so to say, your social standing economically in the community. Turtle doves were for the most modest of those in the community of economic stature. So uh, we know that Joseph and Mary were by no means wealthy at this time. Being a carpenter by trade, we find that out later about Joseph, he probably was a little more accomplished. Had he been uh, more, had the birth had taken place later in both Joseph and Mary's life, uh, perhaps they would have offered a lamb or even an oxen if he was at a higher economic level. 
but we have a picture here of just simplicity. We have a picture here of those that talked about the Christ uh, being shepherds. We have the Mary and Joseph economic status being modest, and it was revealed, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name, we're in verse 25, whose name was Simon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation, he's waiting for the redemption. He's waiting for Israel to be proclaimed in God's eyes as a holy nation. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now you have a picture of them. They've gone to church after their child was born within eight days. According to Hebrew law, the lady, the woman had to show up at church and to have, the, if it was a boy child, and do the proper sacrifice, and to have circumcision performed uh, on the child. And all this was in retrospects to the submission of the family to the church in such a glorious and humble time for them, regardless of where they were, regardless of the circumstances that had taken place, regardless of how far they traveled to get to Jerusalem or how far they were in any journey in their life, they had to recognize the church and the statutes and the statutes of the church even at the time of the child's birth. And it came to, and this man, Simeon, S-I-M-E-O-N, he's one of two people that bear witness to, the, to Christ in the temple. It wasn't a priest. It wasn't a Levitical scholar. It wasn't, again, the wise men. Uh, so far, we've had shepherds proclaim Christ's birth, and now we're going to have two people that stayed by the temple, one to do the laundry and the other one to seek out handouts to survive. And those two people are who God the Father chose to be a witness and a testimony to his son's birth and redemption of mankind there in the temple. Uh, it's the qualifications to be used of God are very, very minimal once you've submitted yourself to God. And these people had, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Not any Christ, but the Lord's Christ. That S is apostrophe S, so it's possession. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Must have been Pentecostal. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do, the, do for her him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, you see that man has a capability of blessing God. And one of the, the first opportunity you have to bless God is by being simply obedient to God. This man walked into the temple out of the clear blue sky, and asked and proclaimed what we'll read. Now, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. There was nothing hid about Jesus Christ. There was nothing hid about his humbleness. There was nothing hid about his humility. There was nothing hid about his glory. Well, his glory was kind of hid, wasn't it? The shepherds and the angels proclaimed it, though. At light to lighten the Gentile, a light to lighten the Gentiles, 
and the glory of thy people Israel. So this man here came in and proclaimed Jesus Christ as a light unto the Gentiles and then to the people of Israel. And if you know anything about Hebrew authorship and scholarship, the fact that Gentiles are listed first here is very rare. All through Scripture, it's the Jew first, then the Gentile. Jesus Christ came to redeem his kind and then us later. Unless you're Jewish or have Jewish blood in you, he came first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And Simon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for thee, the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He knew that Mary was going to, her son was there to serve mankind and to be a sacrifice for our sins, and that his mother and family would realize that eventually, and at the same time of that realization, when you have to acknowledge that your son's going to be sacrificed for the sins of many, you have to acknowledge that everyone is a sinner. And that's going to pierce her heart. Uh, there shouldn't be anything too surprising to someone who's out to serve the Lord in that regard. As you serve God, you will be fought and you will be, uh, you will be challenged by the godless, and it'll pierce your heart. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, prophetess, the daughter of of the tribe of Asher. She was a great of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widower of about fourscore and forty-four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. She was a common laborer in the temple, if you uh, get into the history of that lady. And she uh, was there to uh, wait on tables and to help people out and to serve and to vacuum the floor and to clean the bulletin boards and to clean the toilets and and do all that kind of stuff in the temple. And she was a widower. And this this the reason there's two people identified here in the temple is because if you read Hebrew law, by the word of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And this is two witnesses in the temple that are going to witness that Jesus Christ is the Savior. They came to every circumcision. They were there at every circumcision. And they had to be there for this one. And she was a widower of four, four score and four years. Now let's go to verse 38. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise, likewise means also, unto the Lord, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. 
And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into, unto, into Galilee of their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and grace. God was upon him. That's a wonderful story. And I don't know if you've subject yourself to that story very much, but I've read that story every Christmas. I hadn't had a chance to read it yet this Christmas, but I accomplished that now. I wanted you to hear it, just in case we've lost the focus. We know it's a religious holiday. We know Jesus was born. We know uh, the fact that he came to redeem mankind, and most of us here that have taken the time through this holiday season to come to church actually know why he was born, and that is he was the sacrifice for mankind's sin. He was born so that he could die for each one of us. I like the saying, I've seen it somewhere, how much does God love you? He loves you this much. He spread out his arms and let them nail him to a tree, and he died for thee. It's part of Christmas. To, be, to die, one has to be born. And it's... Uh, to live, somebody has to die. Something has to die. That's rules of uh, chemistry. So, if you know the story, let's all stand. You know the story of Jesus. You now you know the story of the birth of Jesus. This is a time that we gathered together in celebration.